0: right I'm your host Kurt Sandig, and on this week's edition of Paranormal Almanac let's continue with cryptids around the world but first as always we have shout outs going on to the patrons if you want to skip ahead it's less than a minute feel free to skip ahead now that's right shout outs going out to Josh Alexis Jen Elizabeth Voidtech Voidtech do I have a real name for you Frederick or Fred Steve Sherry Art Muffin Art Muffin who's Art Muffin Oh no. Trudy, Tim, Kenneth, Paul, Ricardo, Damian and Daniel, Jasmine, Ian, Eric, Brandon, Jen, Alexandra, eek, George, Connie, Seth, Christine, Jason, Hayden, Cindy, Kim, Adam, Ashley, Erie the Cat. I love that cat. Dave and Sean. Hope they're doing okay. What's that? Ian, Lorelei, Carrie, Ezra, Ezra, Robin, Will, Carrie, Jim, Kelly, Lauren and Phil Mangano, Bill, Russell, Tanya, Chris, Brandon, April, Seth, Isabel, Audra, Dorian, Dorian and Isaac, Cindy, Bob, Sean, Bishop, Cole, Paula, Alicia, Jerry, Leo, Austin, Rachel, Lindsay, Han, Jennifer, Megan, Aaron, Amy, Jeff, T, Hart- Charlie, Suzanne, Joe, Lawrence, Laura McCune, hey howdy hi, Lily, Veronica, Nick, Autumn, Mark, Carolyn, Martin, Jade, Nanashi, Megan, Heidi, Kira, Pablo, Chuck, Ruth, Laura Rutho, Todd, Jamie, and Elijah Hendrickson, Juliana, Dan, Laura, GamerFan, and Lauren and David. A special shout out to Joe Teague. Thank you once again to all the patrons. You guys can head on over to patreon.com paranormalalmanac if you like what you're hearing and you go... Well, hey, I don't need to be a patron because I listen to it on Spotify or Stitcher or name your podcast location. Well, and you think like, well, he must be making lots of money I'm listening to it. They they have commercials and ads and they charge me for it. Well, here's the thing about those sites, those podcasting formats or programs or whatever. Pennies on the thousands of dollars. Pennies. For every thousands of dollars, goes to the actual podcast creator. Um, If you don't want to, if you want to just enjoy the show, that's totally fine. I have no problem with that. I love having you guys all listen, watching, you know, looking at the stats the next day and seeing how many people around the world are listening. So I really do appreciate it. But if you think by listening to it on Spotify, any of that money comes to me, it does not. Sadly, that's just not how those kinds of formats actually work. But again... You just listening, you telling your friends and family about Paranormal Almanac or buying some merch, that goes a long way to making this show a better show. The patrons, I use that money to try and make this show a better show, including this new thing that I haven't gotten yet. It's supposed to be coming maybe during this episode. Um, I use the, the, the patron money for the past two months I put that towards an item that I've been wanting for a while that will hopefully make the show and the live shows even better. So, thank you to all the patrons, thank you guys for listening, make sure you like and subscribe and tell your friends and all that fun stuff, but with that being said, let's get to a packed paranormal almanac news, including one story that is just breaking that's insane absolutely insane. I'm sure you all know the story by now. But, let's get to Paranormal News. Paranormal News. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Paranormal News. The first one, extreme Chernobyl fungus could protect astronauts from deadly radiation. That's right. An experiment done aboard the International Space Station demonstrates the potential for a hardy fungus to shield astronauts from cosmic radiation. This fungus has already proved its metal inside one of the most hostile places on earth, Chernobyl. Crazy as it seems, this, um, this fungus does seem to do fine right in the dead center of the chernobyl nuclear power plant and they think if it stops that kind of radiation it can probably stop the radiation that we will see in space especially when crude missions go to mars so that's about it for that story i thought that one was really cool really neat let's move on to the next story in paranormal news alleged ufo sighting in Abbotsford, aldergrove i'm sure i got those both wrong That's right, the skies in Abbotsford and Aldergrove have once again been gaining attention online as more footage of unidentified flying objects was recently posted on YouTube. The footage, recorded on December 1st and December 2nd, is of a UFO and the witnesses state, I was driving east from 264 and Fraser Highway at Aldergrove, BC, and my son observed an orange glow low obscured by trees. So he pulled over to see three strange orange orbs in a triangular in a triangular formation now my wife documented it on the phone the lights stayed the same distance from each other while slowly heading southwest and a slight rotation 20 seconds or so later a fire a single fiery orange orb brighter than the others followed on the same flight path at the same speed now there is a video as always I never click on the actual videos until I do the show because uh, you know, I want it to be a real response. So let's let's go to YouTube. Let's check it out. So it's about a minute and thirty-one seconds. Oh, that's already stupid crap. Alright. About a minute and thirty-one seconds long. Stupid slightly Oh, here we go. It's just someone's Okay. That is a perfect triangular object. Lights on on all three sides, just like every other triangular UFO that I have ever talked about on this podcast. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much the end of it. Yeah, no, that is that is the quintessential triangular UFO object that a lot of people have seen all around the world. Crazy. Cool. I like it. All right, moving on to the next story in paranormal news. John Fogarty's UFO fascination follows him from childhood dream and never before seen extended interview. Now, if you don't know who John Fogarty is, you, you, I'm sure you do. He was in uh, Creedence Clearwater Revival. He's, you know, he's a singer. You, Trust me, you know John Fogarty. So let's see one of the most successful singer songwriters of all time is in coronavirus lockdown, blah, blah, blah. But a year ago this week, he was in Vegas. To perform a series of concerts, unaware that the concert industry is about, who cares? Uh, sold-out shows, unveiled a new concert film, slated to mark the 50th of Woodstock, 50th anniversary of Woodstock. There we go. Let's get to this. Fogarty calls his music swamp rock, blah, blah, blah. Uh, whether it's choosing hoodoos, dark premonitions, voodoo spells, and a zombie or two, is he a student of the paranormal? So, you know, you're, you know about this stuff. You're knowledgeable. Bob Lazar, Area 51, Roswell, you're up on it. And Fogarty says, yeah, I'm up on it in a sense. I guess you call me a fan. I started quite young in the 50s. It was a great time for a kid growing up experiencing the flying saucer phenomenon and the green men from outer space and all that. I saw every science fiction movie that was ever made and a lot of horror ones too. Let's jump ahead. I've never seen a UFO that I know of, nor have I ever seen an alien that I know of, but... As a youngster, he had a strange recurring dream about the sensation of flying out his home and over his town, accompanied by a mysterious friend. He wrote about it in his autobiography, Fortunate Son, and openly wonders if the friend was an E.T. He says, I was up over the neighborhood just flying around, you know, kind of like this, but I had this dream from the time I was six until I was 12. I had the dream over and over and over, and there always seemed to be a presence, like a person that I was aware of, that I knew, a guide, if you will. I didn't know what to call it. Um it sounds like astral projection to me. I mean I guess, yeah, you know, with alien abductions, you go, you know, you always talk you always hear about people like saying, like, Oh, and I saw him float out the window. But they don't like float out the window and go flying around like on a like with Superman kind of a thing. I dunno, that sounds like Astral Projection to me, but again, I have no idea. He doesn't even seem to have any idea. But if you like John Fogarty, he seems to uh, fly around or well, at least he did from six to twelve okay up next in paranormal news ufo watchtower eyes on the sky for 20 years it's safe to say that in terms of roadside attraction the ufo watchtower in san louis san louis valley san louis valley i don't know is out of this world the structure dedicated to keeping eyes on the sky has been attracting visitors from all over the world for 20 years and reports that hundreds of those stopping by the tower have sighted ufos i just tell folks look up once in a while stop looking down at your cell phone the owner of the watchtower says. So the celebrated plan for two decades of spectating the skies just north of Hooper, Colorado, had to be postponed due to COVID, but they say you don't have to go here to see UFOs. Just look up in the sky. So the watchtower was built by, um, by Judy after hearing stories for years from the locals of odd stuff in the skies. Since the tower was erected, guests have stopped by from all over To see the tower, look for UFOs, write down their otherworldly accounts, and often leaving something behind in the garden that sits in the front of the watchtower. Uh, It says, about the garden, since opening the UFO watchtower in in 2000, over 25 psychics have visited and told the same story, that there are two large vortexes located on the side of the tower. So, there you go. If you guys are anywhere near Hooper, Colorado... I've never visited this thing. I'll be honest. I know a lot of people from Colorado and I've never heard of this thing, but I want to check it out. If I ever go to Hooper, Colorado, you bet your damn titties I'm going to the UFO Watchtower. Okay, up next in paranormal news, I put this one in the paranormal news for a reason. There's a lot of people that have been seeing stuff on um, from the International Space Station and saying, those are UFOs. Look, that's a UFO and that's a UFO and look, there's so many UFOs over the skies Well, this story says weather phenomenon often mistaken for UFOs seen by satellite over Michigan. A satellite passing thousands of miles over Michigan recorded an alien-looking weather phenomenon that's often mistaken for UFOs and their portals. Meteorologists call the phenomenon fall streak or hole punch clouds, and they're often created by aircraft. However, they're so perfectly shaped that people freak out and report them as ufos all the time so twofold one if you're watching those international space station or those nasa videos from space and you see these things it's not a ufo it's not a cloaked ufo which a lot of people think oh it's just a cloaked ufo that's why it looks like you can see the sky behind it not the clouds no it's a natural phenomenon called a fall streak or a hole punch cloud. So, take two seconds. Don't freak out. Don't panic. There are logical explanations for UFOs. And I bet that if MUFON actually investigated every UFO claim and checked to see if there was a chance of a hole punch cloud or a fall, what's it called, a fall streak, I bet you any money they would find that those phenomena match up. Like if they looked on YouTube and found people that went like, wow, look at this weird cloud. And then they saw the same people or different people from that same area reporting UFO. I bet you there are a lot of them. I get a ton of photos sent to me from fans and I love them. I'll I'll take a look at every photo. But a ton of them are just these, these hole punch clouds. So do yourself a favor, check out, just Google hole punch cloud. You'll know what I'm talking about. It's very easy to see why people would think they're UFOs, but they're just not. It's natural. All right, real quick, I'm going to skip, like, really breeze over this next one. I'm an astronomer. I'm an astronomer. I'm an astronomer, and I think aliens may be out there, but UFO sightings aren't persuasive. So there was a survey that said nearly half of Americans believe that aliens have visited the Earth, either in the ancient past or recently. And that percentage has been increasing. Belief in alien visitation is greater than the belief in Bigfoot being a real creature, but less than belief that places can be haunted by spirits. Thought that was really interesting. And it goes on to talk about like real proof, what they need, scientific evidence, scientific proof. And some of them, you could say, look, the government has come out and said that UFOs are real this year. Nope. Nope. There's no proof there. That's just them saying it well no no that is proof they're saying yes it's true we have the videos we have the we can't explain any of this stuff it is not us nope that's obviously fake huh you know some people you just can't convince and other people are too easily convinced you got to be somewhere in the middle is all i'm saying but again, I'm not going to go too deep into this story because I really want to get to this really good story that I'm getting very close to. So let's keep on keeping on. Leaked Pentagon photo seems to capture a UFO. Is it real? Well, probably to be honest with you, a reportedly unidentified aerial phenomena task force the United States Department of Defense issued two classified intelligent positions in 2018 and 2020. And one of them includes a photo... <clears throat> pardon me, one of them includes a photo from the cockpit of a plane that when blown up, it doesn't look like any conventional aircraft. I mean, that's all there is to this story. I mean, I'll, I'll put a, I'll post a photo, um, online on Facebook or whatever, but they said the Pentagon report includes a leaked photo, an account of an unidentified aerial phenomena emerging from the ocean through the sky and an admission That the object might have extraterrestrial origin. If you look at this photo, you can't say, well, that could be like a B-2 bomber. It could be... No, this thing doesn't look like anything, any known man-made aircraft, as far as I'm concerned. It's a really neat leaked photo. Like I said, I will be posting it online. You know, look for it, is all I'm saying. All right, let's keep on keeping on. Um... Yeah, here we go. This is the one. This is the big story that everybody's going to be talking about this week. Probably already have started by the time you hear this episode. Former Israeli space security chief says aliens exist, but humanity's not ready. That's right. This galactic federation has supposedly been in contact with Israel and the U.S. for years, but are keeping themselves a secret to prevent hysteria until humanity is ready. His name is Haim Ashad, and I'm sure I got that wrong. And I apologize. Ashad, I apologize if I said his name incorrectly. I've only read it at this point, so I don't know really how to pronounce it. Haim or Haim Ashad. And he says, um, it's a retired Israeli general and current professor. And he says, Have we made contact with aliens? Yeah, but this has been kept a secret because humanity isn't ready. Speaking in an interview to... Oof, I'm really going to screw this one up. I apologize. Yediat Aharanat, Oof, I, I guarantee you I got that wrong, and I'm so sorry. He said, um... Ashad, who served as the head of Israel's space security program for nearly 30 years and a third and a three-time recipient of the Israeli Security Award, explained that Israel and the U.S. have both been dealing with aliens for years, and this is by no means referring to immigrants. He said extraterrestrials, the existence of a galactic federation. So he's 87 years old. He's a former space security chief. And he gave, the, he gave further descriptions about exactly what sort of agreements have been made between the aliens and the U.S., which had been essentially been made because they wish to uh, research and understand the fabric of the universe. This cooperation includes a secret underground base on Mars, where there are American and alien representatives. If true, this would coincide with U.S. President Donald Trump's creation of Space Force. I don't agree with that. Um, Though it's unclear how long this sort of relationship, if any, has been going on between the U.S. and its reported extraterrestrial allies. But uh, Ashed insists that Trump is aware of them, that he was on the verge of disclosing their existence, that I can believe, However, the Galactic Federation reportedly stopped him from doing so, saying they wished to prevent mass hysteria since they felt humanity need to evolve and reach a stage where we will understand what space and spaceships are. I can totally get behind all that. Let me keep going, though. As for why he's chosen to reveal this information now, he explained that the timing was simply due to how much the academic landscape has changed and how respected he is in academia. He said, if I had come up with what I'm saying today five years ago, I would have been hospitalized. He said that today, they're already, take, they're already talking differently. I have nothing to lose. I've received my degrees and my awards. I'm respected in universities abroad where the trend is also changing. Now, all of this is part of a new book that is coming out. So take it all with a grain of salt because there is a new book called The Universe Beyond the Horizon. Conversations with Professor Haim or Haim Ashed. Again, I apologize. Along with other details, such as how aliens have prevented nuclear apocalypses and when we can jump in and visit the Men in Black. The the book is available now for NIS 98. I don't know what that means. I'm going to be getting the book. I can't wait to read it. I'll tell you all about it once I read it. You should definitely read it yourself, but I will tell you all about it once I read it. But it goes on the story goes on to say while it's unclear if any evidence exists that can support these claims they did just come ahead of a recent announcement by SpaceIL the group behind Israel's failed attempt to land a spacecraft on the moon in 2019 uploaded to social media with the text ready to get excited again the announcement contained a 15 second video of the moon with text saying back to the moon followed by the date of December 9th 2020 it's likely that this is a follow up to the Bersheet spacecraft, which crashed which crashed after engineers lost contact with it just minutes before it was due to land. However, the follow-up project, entitled Bearsheet 2, is expected to take three years to be ready. Alright, that's the big story. The big story of, should be of the year, of the decade, of whatever, but it's just of the month, or maybe even only of the week, depending on how bad 2020 continues to be. So, can it be debunked? Well, the source is real. Completely real. Is he real? Yep. He worked for the Israeli government from 1981 to 2010. He was a professor of aeronautics and astronautics. He was a veteran pilot and a flight instructor. He was a member of the American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics. He was the co-founder of of the of the Israel Space Agency and Space Research Institute in the Technon Technion Israel Institute of Technology look everything i did a ton of research just on this guy since i can't prove anything he said i looked into this guy and he is legit he's 87 years old and just doesn't care anymore He's going to tell us what he knows. Like he said, look, I've already proven myself to the scientific and academic communities. He's established. He has no reason to come forward except that he's 87. So he reportedly said, again, there's an agreement between the U.S. government and the aliens. They signed a contract with us to do experiments here. They, too, are researching and trying to understand the whole fabric of the universe, and they want us as helpers. Now, Nick Pope, who used to investigate UFOs for the British Ministry of Defense, told NBC News the following, either this is some sort of practical joke or publicity stunt to help sell his book, which it could be. It could be a publicity stunt. Could I could totally get behind this being a publicity stunt. I, I seriously can. But... He goes on to say, perhaps with something having been lost in translation or someone in the know is breaking ranks. That's the big one. He is probably breaking ranks, telling us what he knows. A spokesperson for NASA said, one of NASA's key goals is the search for life in the universe. Although we've yet to find signs of extraterrestrial life, NASA is exploring the solar system and beyond To help us understand fundamental questions, including whether we're alone in the universe. From studying water on Mars, probing promising ocean worlds such as uh, Europa, to looking for biosignatures in the atmosphere of planets outside our solar system, NASA's science missions are working together with a goal to find unmistakable signs of life beyond Earth. No offense, I mean that's a great, great spiel about what NASA's done, and what it's doing, and how amazing NASA is, and it truly is, but that doesn't answer any part of what this guy just said I'm sure they didn't say hey can you give us an overall view of NASA no I bet you any money they said hey is any of this true is the Galactic Federation true this is this type of stuff that I've talked about forever these guys are getting up there in age and thankfully this guy is talking and not taking his secrets to the grave Again, can I prove any of what he says? Nope. But he has the credentials, and he would know about this stuff if it's true. And look, Galactic Federation is the worst named thing ever. I completely agree. It took a lot of credibility away from the story as soon as I read the words, it's called the Galactic Federation. No, that's a terrible, freaking cheesy name. But besides that... Would this guy have had the clearance and the access to this kind of information? Yes. So my money is on, we should believe him until he says or does something to prove to me that this is false. Disclosure keeps on coming one story at a time. Eventually, we're either going to get undisputed documents and proof, or we'll just see the aliens, you know, for ourselves. But... It's this kind of story. You can't just say, oh, that's bullshit The Galactic Federation. Fuck this guy. Who is this guy? Some 87-year-old wacko. No, he's not. He's very established. He had the connections. He is 87. Again, in my opinion, that's why we're hearing this story. And look, you know, the world is a different place. 2020 has been like 10 years long in itself. So let's make with the disclosure and be done with it humanity isn't gonna freak out and start killing each other if aliens are real if anything do it during 2020 because if you did it this month in 2020 people would just say of course aliens are real it's 2020 or who had aliens are real on their 2020 bingo card or whatever that stupid meme is look this is the year for disclosure if you wanted to do it any year People are trapped in their houses, trapped in their houses. Hopefully you guys are trapped in your houses. Stay home, wear a mask, stay home. But if they haven't killed us, if the aliens haven't killed us in the, whatever, 70, let's just say 70 years they've been working with the governments. I'm going back to other uh, Paranormal Almanac episodes about US presidents meeting with the aliens. Let's say all of that is true, which again, there are a lot of witnesses to that too. A lot of credible witnesses to that, too. So let's say it's been 70 years that we've been working with the aliens in the Galactic Federation. If they haven't killed us then, they're not going to kill us now. They're not going to wait 70 years and be like, you guys are just as dumb as you were 70 years ago. No, obviously, there's a reason they're keeping us alive. We're just harmless monkeys, so it's safe. They're fine. Let them be let it let it be out. Let the information be out. Let us all find out tomorrow that aliens are real. I don't know. All I gotta say is, oh, actually, you know what? Don't do it tomorrow. Let's wait till like uh, I don't know, mid January, then have the information come out because I don't want a certain person taking credit for aliens. And you know that will happen, you know it would happen. He'd be immediately like. That's right, I was the first person to ever talk to an alien. I'm the greatest person in the world. Aliens love me. No, fuck that guy. Let's wait till mid-January. Then, let's say that aliens are real. All of it's real. This guy is incredible. Look, I would love to interview this guy. I 100% would. But every news source in the world is trying to get a hold of this guy right now to find out if grandpa's off his meds or if he's telling us the truth. Until I find out, it's, you know, he's off his meds. I'm going to say he's telling us the truth. I I think this is the biggest story that we're going to see in a long time. It's definitely the biggest story of the year, maybe. I don't know. See, that's the thing. They've already, the U.S. government's already said aliens are real. Now, this guy's saying aliens are real. So, I guess it's just another story about aliens being real, people. I don't know how much louder I can shout it. All right. With that. Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back to actually get into this episode that I haven't even started yet. We're like a half hour into this episode. And it hasn't even started yet. All right, let's take a quick break. Alrighty, we are back. Head on over to storenv search uh, storenv.com, search Paranormal Almanac for all your Paranormal Almanac merch needs, or head on over to patreon.com/ paranormal Almanac to become a patron. Let's get into the episode, the actual episode episode. It's crazy. I should have stopped this episode after that Paranormal Almanac, or that Paranormal News story, but I don't, but I'm not gonna. There's a lot of episodes still to go. Let's get into this. I had so many cryptids from around the world the last episode, but I needed to split it. Now, I think this is the first back-to-back, same-topic episode ever done on Paranormal Almanac, and, uh, spoiler... I still couldn't get through the list. So, let's talk about even more cryptids from around the world. Now again, I'm just going to bounce around the globe in no particular order, so let's start with Central Asia for the Almasty, Also known as the Almus, or the Alma, and a bunch of other names I can't pronounce, but I don't feel too bad about not being able to pronounce these names, because in 1964, scholar P.R. Rinsen said that the origins of the old name is quite unknown and it does not lend itself for translation in other languages. So there, I get a pass on the Almasty. Almasty? I don't know. I get a pass on I get a pass on this one. This guy can't pronounce it. I sure shit. Look, a dumb American podcaster shouldn't be able to pronounce it either. All right, so what are they? Well, they're man beasts basically. Look, they're Bigfoot. Yep. That's right, yet another Bigfoot. Except this Bigfoot has huge claws on its feet. In fact, it was so fierce and so feared that locals actually moved out of the area it was so often seen in out of fear alone. It was seen in the Rafine Mountains. I don't know. It's in South, it's in uh, Central Asia. In a mountain range, R-I-P-H-E-A-N. Rafine, I think. But these locals were so afraid of this thing. This thing was so vicious and so scary that they're like, yeah, yeah, never mind. You can have that area. We'll go back to where we came from. Now, these things are supposedly thought to be relatives of the Yeti. It's about the same size, same really dark, thick fur, flat faces. One was actually supposedly shot and even killed and then photographed. So I immediately stopped everything and googled almasty or almasty photo uh, killed photo and uh i don't know a lot of people think it's just another bigfoot costume that someone took a photo of but i will say i looked at the photo it looks better than most dead bigfoot photos it's even got like a hand that's kind of like curled up like like he died like and curled up kind of like a mummy kind of thing It you know you could see into its mouth you can see into its eyes it's pretty impressive for the photo the two photos that I could find but I can't find the source of the photos or any information of who took them because if it gave me like the photographer's name I could at least you know do some deep dive research and was this a real person because most of the times it's not most of the times it was like J.L. Smith took this photo and then I'll look into it and there was never a J.L. Smith in the area so you know, bullshit. Most people don't do the research, but this one, I can't even find any information out about the photos. So put that to the side, take that with a grain of salt. I'll throw the photos up on Facebook as well. I don't know. I just don't know what to think about that photo, but on to the weird part of the Almasty story. There was a wild woman that was captured in Southern Russia in the forests of Abkhazia. I think that's right in the 1870s now she was huge she was also completely covered in fur and they named her Zana or Zana I'm gonna say Zana now she was kept as a prisoner by a local landover, local land owner for over 20 years that's not even the weird part of the story yet this next part is Zana had four children with local men That's right, they caught a Bigfoot woman, kept her prisoner for 20 years, and four guys had sex with her. What the hell, Russia? She was completely covered in fur and incredibly huge. Now, they say that uh, Zana mellowed after a few years and no longer need to be caged. That's right, they kept her caged for a few years after they caught her. Now sources say, sources that were there, said she refused to wear clothes, she died around 1890, she was insanely strong, insanely huge, she would often bathe in the ice, ice, ice cold river in that mountain range. So crazy, right? But like I said, she had four children. Now, her children were said to be very dark-skinned and extraordinarily strong. Now, I found a supposed photo of Quit. That's one of her kids. I found the photo online. Again, can't prove it's even a real photo of Quit. But I got to say, he just looks African. I mean, there's nothing extraordinary about him. He doesn't look like he was his mother was a Bigfoot. Now, his name was Quit Sabikia. That's K H. W-I-T-S-A-B-E-K-I-A. Quit Sabekia. So if you want to look up his photo, he's just a dude kind of, you know, in a dress shirt and a suit coat, you know. I don't know. But anyhow, moving on to modern times. Brian Sykes, who is a professor of human genetics at the University of Oxford, actually carried out DNA tests on saliva samples taken from six descendants of Zana. He said he also recovered DNA from a tooth taken from Quit himself, obviously his skull. Now, such work is highly specialized. Syke was the first geneticist to ever extract DNA from an ancient bone, supposedly. I couldn't confirm that, but that's what the story says. Now, what did he find? Well, something weird. It showed that Zana was Saharan African, 100% Saharan African. He said, the most obvious solution that springs to mind is that Zana or her ancestors were brought from Africa to Abkhazia as slaves when it was part of the slave trading Ottoman Empire to work as servants or laborers. While the Russians ended slavery when they took over the region in the late 1850s, some Africans remained behind. Was Zana one of them who was living out wild in the forest and then she was captured? Well, here's the problem with that. Again, there are a lot of very reliable witnesses who saw her at the time. Again, they said she was huge, very muscular, and completely covered in black fur. Anyhow. So anyhow, Dr. Sykes studied the skull of Zana Sunquit, and he believes there are some unusual morphological skull features, such as very wide eye sockets, an elevated brow ridge, and what appears to be an additional bone At the back of the skull he says this could suggest ancient as opposed to modern human origins now again the skull of her son quit was found in 1971 was said to be very ape-like and very bigfoot-like the photo the supposed photo of quit doesn't match that description so again i can't prove that that photo is even real it makes it really hard to find out what's real and not but so yeah first one on this episode absolutely crazy i feel horrible that a Bigfoot woman was caged and had horrific things done to her by at least four men. But here's my question. Where is her grave? Surely she's got one and it should be able to be exhumed and tested. She has living descendants. They took you know the DNA samples from them so they can approve an exhumation of the body. So let's get to the bottom of this poor woman. Let's exhume her, see if she was a Bigfoot, if she was boom there's proof of bigfoot if she wasn't boom there's your proof of sick landowners keeping some poor woman caged and this poor woman was also covered in fur so that's you know doubly sad i'm telling you the whole thing is a very very bizarre story all righty let's stick with the bigfoot-like creatures for a bit again just like the last episode there are a ton of them Again, I could have probably done a whole episode on just Bigfoot-like creatures, but I wanted to mix it up a little bit. So, let's stick with them for just a little bit. Let's talk about the Chachuna. Now, it's Russian Yeti, and it's been spotted a ton all over Russian mountains. Also known as the Mete, the Chachuna, the Mulin, and of course, the Yeti. That one I can pronounce. Yeti, I got right. The other ones probably didn't get right. And like every Bigfoot around the world the indigenous people have been talking about the Chachuna for basically ever. The Yakuts and the Tungus both told stories about them throughout their history with warnings to avoid them. Now in the 1930s, a professor was furious when he heard that hunting parties actually were going out looking for the Chachuna on a regular basis to kill them. Knowing that these could be a new species and could be made extinct before being studied, He's like, you guys can't actually go out and do this, but they did it anyway. Then according to many sources, even though I can't find the actual paper, it said that a Russian newspaper had a story about them with this next few paragraphs. Again, huge grain of salt, time. I can't find the actual newspaper. It doesn't surprise me. Russian newspapers, even if I could, they'd be in Russian and I wouldn't be able to read them anyway. It says, oh, and uh, beware, I'm going to get a lot of names wrong here. Says the screaming of Senduzhny, Mount Kuryat Kazha, lied opposite the fishing village of Chekurovka. On a dangerous steep slope, lied the ruins of an airplane. Some old people claim that in 1957, hunters from the surrounding villages killed a chichuna or snowman. It's said that this body was brought on the Lena River to Yakutsk, the capital of Yakutia. And disappeared there. The legend has it that the Chchuna lived in the mountains of Verchansk, 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 Verchansk. I don't know. It caught reindeers, the skin of which it wore to protect it from the harsh winters. It's further said that upon meeting people, the snowman would scream quite terribly. In the tundra, this snowman was named Senduzhne, after Senduka, an old name of tundra. Although this legend defeated any common sense, it refused to die. On the other side of the mountain range, in the areas of Najba, some reported a highly discreet creature that was called the Iki-Meterjok. Meturj...Meterjok. I don't know. Literally meaning two meters tall. It's claimed that those that were hunting, fishing, and or collecting firewood along the riverbanks saw the snowmen. It's also reported that as dawn set in, it would actually come down and enter the village. In that village, an unknown animal had been caught in a wolf trap in March of 2002. It was already dead when discovered and described like a primate about the size of a large dog. The whole body, apart from feet and face, were covered in fur. It had a long tail. Now, there are three versions of supposedly what happened with the corpse. One, a teacher from a neighboring settlement said that the body had been taken to the capital Someone else claimed that the animal had been torn to pieces by dogs and the third version was that the frightened people had buried the corpse together with the trap. This is 2002, people. It's, I don't buy any of it, but again, I can't disprove any of it because I can't read Russian. So the chief of the town Council talked about another similar case there about a year earlier. A young man named Albert had found, by coincidence, a dead unknown animal which was similar to an ape. In this connection, it was suggested that it could be the chichuna or a wild man. And older local people who saw the dead animal said, that's it. That's what we've been seeing all over the mountains. And they called it a bastikila. Hold on, pal. Here. All right. Hi, Stitch. So the reporter and the photographer who contacted Albert trying to find out where the body was said that uh, he confirmed that they had found a strange animal but were unable to say what happened with the corpse. According to the council workers, Albert's father had buried the body. On hearing that his news reporters started out from the capital to try and find Albert and find the body, he said that he buried it again. He took it someplace else. It's really hard to keep track of what's going on. Um, They were able to find the 64-year-old father of Albert. He reported that his son had found an unknown animal with a long tail and a trap at the end of October 2001... He said the color of the coat was an unusual yellow. The boy was afraid and left the animal behind in the wilderness. Back at home, he made a sketch of his find. And after a few days, the dad tried to find the animal with a companion. But according to him, he couldn't find it because of new snowfall. So the stories are really convoluted as to what happened with the body, who actually saw the body, who actually had the body. And I really don't know what to think. But, um... They said it wasn't the first time they found a body. They found it again. They found another body in 2002. And um, basically, there's a lot of people that say there are still a bunch of them out there around these villages. The villagers still talk about them. It's probably some unknown primate. Guess what? Yeah, it definitely is some unknown primate. Alrighty, let me take a quick detour away from Bigfoot for a second. Since I'm in Russia... Let's talk about another cryptid there. It's called the Adachor. It's a 50-foot serpent. Basically, it's like Russia's Nessie. Now, apparently, a Soviet geographer and his son reported seeing the monster one day in 1975 in a small lake called Kokol in Kazakhstan. Now, the odd thing here is there's only one source. That's the Washington Post from 1979 for this sighting. The only source, and it's real. I could find this one is a Washington Post article from 1979 about this sighting. Very obscure, very bizarre, obviously incredibly rarely seen, supposedly once in 1975, four years before the Washington Post even wrote a story about it. Very bizarre. All right, let's get back on the Bigfoot train for a second. Here's another lesser known Bigfoot known as the Amamongo. Now, it comes from the Philippines, and it's basically Bigfoot, but with long nails, and it's relatively new. I really can't find any sightings or mentions prior to 2008, and I'll be honest, not many sightings since. It seems that the humans, us, surprisingly, shockingly, encroached on its territory. Now, it's either in the caves at the base of the mountains or up in the mountains themselves, and the Amamongo did not like us. This comes from a June 17th, 2008, ABS slash CBN news story. Salvador Aguilar, who is a resident, nearby resident, told police that he was attacked by a wild monkey. He showed authorities the scratches on his face, back, and hands. He said several of his neighbors also saw the monkey attacking domesticated animals. And it wasn't just him. Because another gentleman named Elias Galvez and Salvador reported to Mayor Alberto Nicor and the police that they were separately attacked by a hairy creature with long nails on the nights of June 9th and 10th in 2008 in Kabungan-Bungan, uh, sure, Kabung-Bungan, sure, uh, it's in the Philippines. Anyhow, they said that Salvador was able to escape, with the, uh, escape from the creature and was treated at the La Casta, La Castelena? A Castellana emergency clinic for scratches on different parts of his body and police actually took a report. Elias on the other hand who was also attacked by the creature was rescued by his companions and um, this mayor said he talked to the kid he saw the scratches himself and said this seems to be legit. Now residents describe the creature to be about five feet and four inches tall that's really specific and it looks like a monkey. The uh, Captain Rudy Torres from the local police had confirmed reports of the existence of such creatures called the Amamongo, or gorilla, by residents. The creature has also allegedly victimized chickens and a goat, and it ate their intestines. Yes, again, it was all in 2008. Now, Torres said that the creature usually strikes where there are no village guards or paramilitary elements around, so it has intelligence, it knows what it's doing. And it likes to uh, attack, especially at nighttime, the dead of night. Um, blah, blah, blah. A creature could be hiding in one of the caves. I'm going to start skipping ahead. This news story keeps, it's very, you know, segmented and not very translated very well. Um, Inspector Teddy Velez, the town's police chief, said a lot of residents have reported being attacked by the alamango since Tuesday, June 10th. Uh, he showed the scratches on his face, the back and his hands. He had a lot of defensive scratches trying to keep this thing from attacking him. And he says it's not a witch. It's, a, it's not a, a cryptid. It is a wild animal. This thing is real. And he says it, it's at the foot of Mount Canloan. And he added that the animal may have been suffering from hunger. He said this is one possibility because there, be, there may be no food now in the mountains. Or it might be that its habitat has been disturbed by humans Thus it runs wild. This thing seems very real. Incredibly real. It's very recent attacks. They kind of figured out why it's attacking. And it all makes sense. So yeah, yet another unknown primate that humans have discovered and immediately pissed off. So yay, go us. All right, three more Bigfoot-like creatures, then I'll mix it back up a bit. This next one, they're called the Billy Apes. B-I-L-I. The billy apes. This one is bizarre. Because I didn't know about it. Thousands of reports of an 8 foot tall primate in South America were reported for years and years and years by local tribes everywhere. And guess what? It's real. This isn't Kurt saying, and guess what is real? Bigfoot's real. Fuck you, man. No, no. This one is real. It is now A known primate but was once considered a cryptid these apes are huge now they look more like chimpanzees than apes but they act more like apes so you might be asking how can these things be real when were they discovered the 1800s no no the 1900s early 1900s no no 1996 yep so this guy Ammon reached the Billy Forest in 1996 And local hunters told them about giant apes that howled at the moon, killed lions, and were immune to poisonous darts. Now, following expeditions came across them, and guess what? They were real. Eight-foot chimpanzee-like looking apes are very real. First they found a skull, then they actually found the apes themselves. Amon says they're curious if apprehensive of people. Gee, I wonder if it has anything to do with the whole poisonous dart thing. And he says they aren't any more dangerous than regular chimps, but, you know, to be fair, Kurt here, that means that they're really seriously dangerous. Chimps can rip people's faces off and eat people's faces and stuff, so they're, they're dangerous enough. But seriously, how crazy is that? 1996, an 8-foot-tall primate was discovered. It went undiscovered until 1996. Don't tell me that Bigfoot still can't be out there. Absolutely crazy. I was shocked to find out it's real. You can see photos of them. These things are legit. All right. On to some yet unproven cryptids like the big muddy monster. Probably one of the better names on this episode. The Big Muddy Monsters from Illinois and it seems to have been first spotted in 1973 in Murfreesboro where they had been re- uh, having repeated sightings and smellings of a Sasquatch like creature that smelled like a skunk. Huh. Kind of smells, or kind of sounds and smells like the skunk ape. Which, in case you don't know what that is, that's another cryptid in Louisiana and Florida and I've talked about it in episodes before and guess what? There are a lot of people that think that Big Muddy and the Skunk Ape and Creve Cure, the monster from Louisiana, may be all the same creature slash creatures. So they think it swam down the Big Muddy River in Murfreesboro to Mississippi River and north to the Missouri River over near Creve Cure. So, despite what you call it, I'm going to call it Big Muddy because I know how to say it, There's been a lot of sightings of this thing. A newspaper did a story about it, so let me just read that story to you right now. 1973, in Murfreesboro, two police reports dated June 25th and June 26th relate to the sighting of an unknown creature. It was in those two evenings that reports came in of a loud, tall, white-haired creature caked with mud being spotted in the woods on the outskirts of town near the Big Muddy River. It was later dubbed the Big Muddy River Monster, the Big Muddy Monster, because of its indefinable features and mysterious presence. It set off a media frenzy after the initial reports on these two days, said former patrolman and retired Murfreesboro Police Chief Ron Manwaring. He said, those are the most copied, most looked at reports in the history of our department. There are only two cases that remain unsolved in Murfreesboro, And after 32 years, the case on the big muddy monster still remains open. He says, it's an unsolved case because I can't tell you what it was. There were numerous sightings and numerous people interviewed. The first report came in just before midnight on June 25th. A couple had been parked near the boat dock on the southwestern edge of the Riverside Park next to the woods. The two, who were not married, ooh said that they were in the car when they heard a loud screaming sound in the wooded area and observed a large creature approximately seven feet tall. The creature appeared to have light-colored hair matted with mud. The creature appeared to be walking on two legs and was proceeding towards the car, according to the report. Uh, Man Waring said the two came to the police department and risked exposing their indiscretions because they were so frightened by what they saw. He says there is actually absolutely no advantage for them to come up and report this. It's a small town. Back then it was even smaller. Now the police searched the area with flashlights and spotted tracks in the mud approximately three to four inches deep, 10 to 12 inches long, and three inches wide. While officers were searching the area they reported hearing another scream coming from the woods but nothing could be found of the actual creature itself. The next evening Manwaring said that he was an officer on duty when a call came in from the Westwood Hills subdivision that two teenagers were sitting on the back porch when they spotted a tall, white-haired, hairy creature in a field just at the edge of the woods. Manwaring said officers responded and while they were at the scene, a neighbor said his five-year-old son had just come in ten minutes earlier saying he had seen something on the edge of the woods. My partner and I decided to go down to the area where they saw this thing. He said, I saw this substance and smelled the smell myself. That's right. He was traveling through a footpath near the bushes and noticed a stench and slimy film on the tree branches. Jerry Nellis, an officer with the Carbondale Police Department at the time and a trained dog handler, was called to the scene. He said the dogs tracked the scent all the way to a barn, but once it got to the barn, the dogs refused to go inside. Nellis says his humble opinion was that it was a bear. We've never got a good view of any of the tracks. Is there a Sasquatch? I don't know. Makes for a good story, though. Lauren Coleman, who is a cryptozoologist who studied the big muddy monster in the 70s, believed that it wasn't an animal in the woods. I think within its context of other reports of Bigfoot, he said. Oh, that's it. He thinks it was a Bigfoot. There's something very unique about this eastern midwestern Bigfoot. From the reports from the mud monster, it seemed to frighten people that it, in a way that it didn't want, that it didn't do in the West. I don't know what he means by that. So apparently, if you know, at the time, they thought it was a prank. But after all this time, no one's come forward to say so. And after the hype and hysteria was over, he said he heard two more reports that seemed to be similar to those in June of 1973. One came in earlier July of that same year. But what haunts him more is the report he heard from a man who lived in West... Ho- the Westwood Hills area, before it was developed into neighborhoods in the 1950s. He said the man told him he was out working in his garden one evening when he spotted a creature that was similar to later reports of the Big Muddy Monster. I never did see it, but in my mind, I feel those people really did see something. I guess it remains a mystery. So, there you go. Three creatures, probably all the same creature, the Skunk Ape, the Krev Kure Monster, and the Big Muddy Monster, all in one tiny story on this very long episode all right where are we at on this episode wow we're already in an hour holy crap all right let's keep on keeping on let's go to arizona for the magalon monster now it's seen in the mountains of central arizona it's another bigfoot shocking i already told you it was going to be first sighting was reported in 1903 edition of the arizona republican in which iw stevens described a creature seen near the grand canyon as having long white hair and a matted beard that reached to its knees. It wore no clothing, and upon its talon-like fingers were claws at least two inches long. Upon further inspection, he noted a coat of gray hair nearly covered its entire body, with here and there a spot of dirty skin showing. He later stated that after he discovered the creature drinking the blood of two cougars, it threatened him with a club and screamed the wildest, most unearthly screech ever. The next report of this creature was, um, was reported by the Boy Scouts in the Payson, Arizona area in the early 1940s, so 40 years later. Marjorie Grimes, a White River, Arizona resident, claims that she has sighted the creature a number of times, as in all the time, between 1982 and 2004. She described the creature as black, tall, and walking in big strides. Now, a number of people on the Fort Apache Indian Reservation also claim to see the creature on a regular basis. Other reports involved attacks on prospectors back in the day, attacks in remote cabins back in the day, harassments of campers in the Sierra Ancha, and that seemed to be like a pretty regular occurrence for it to harass or attack campers or scare away campers, so it's definitely something territorial, and it's not something to mess with. So let me give you some attributes for it as well. According to all of the uh, the sightings, all the eyewitnesses, it walks with a wide, in- inhuman stride, leaves behind footprints measuring at least twenty-two inches in length. It's been known to mimic birds, coyotes, and other wildlife, and it's also known to whistle unusual whistle sounds it likes to explore campsites after dark builds nests out of pine needles twigs and leaves and hurls stones from locations that are hidden from view they said that the creature has also been said to decapitate deer and other wildlife prior to consuming them so yeah um enjoy camping in that area boy scouts hell no I ain't going to the, I don't want to see the Mogollon monster. No, thank you. I mean, I want to see it, but from a distance in the daytime when I know it's not going to decapitate and then eat me. Alrighty, let's get weirder to the so not real, but so much fun to talk about thing known as the Loveland Frog. That's right. The Loveland Frog comes from Ohio and it's a man-sized frog. You know, it's right there in the name, people. Uh, He stands four feet tall, has had quite a number of sightings, including a cop. The Loveland Frog was first sighted around 1955, with some versions of the story specifying May of 1955. There are three different versions of that story. They all start the same way. There's a businessman, maybe traveling salesman, and now he's driving along some unnamed road late at night. In one version... He was heading out of the Branch Hill neighborhood when he spotted three figures standing erect on their hind legs along the side of the road. Each of the figures were about three to four feet tall in height with leathery, frog-like faces and skin. Now, the other version of the story. The creatures were spotted under some poorly lit bridge. Um, or some version thereof that he's kind of like spotted out of the corner of his eye kind of a thing. Um, there's another version where the businessman watched the figures converse for a while until one of the creatures held a wand over its head and fired a spray of sparks into the, uh, into the observer's face, like at the observer. Uh, in 1972, a Loveland police officer reported to a colleague that he had seen an animal consistent with the description of the frogman, because it's kind of become like a local legend by that point. Uh, and in fact, on March 3rd, 1972, at 1 a.m., Loveland police officer Ray Shockey was driving on Riverside Drive near the Totes Boot Factory and Little Miami River when an unidentified animal scurried across the road in front of his vehicle. The animal was fully uh, illuminated by his headlights. He could see it completely. And he described it as about three to four feet tall. Sorry, not tall. Three to four feet long, and about 50 to 75 pounds with leathery skin. Now, he reported spotting the animal crouched like a frog before it momentarily stood erect to climb over the guardrail and back down towards the river. (sighs) I'll get back to that in a second. Here's the thing. In 2016, the second officer called a news station to report that he had shot and killed that same creature weeks after this incident. He said, yep, I shot it, I killed it, I went down and looked at it, it was a large iguana that was missing its tail. That's right. According to this officer, Officer Matthews, he actually showed Officer Shockey the dead iguana who then looked at it and said, yep, that's what I saw. That was it. Big dead iguana. Just missing its tail. So apparently an iguana that missing, that's missing its tail can be mistaken for a frogman. Now the problem here is that a lot of sites ignore that last part of the story. He says that he even told that this officer Matthews even told an author of a book about urban legends, no, look, I killed it, and I showed it to the officer, and he said, yep, that's what I saw. It was just a dead iguana with no tail. And he said they just omitted that entire part of the story from the book. They wanted to keep the frog man alive. So yeah, I'm going to say I have no idea why people think an iguana is a frog man, but regardless if it's real or not, it's awesome. If you Google online, I saw the Loveland Frogman, there's a t-shirt that is freaking awesome. I want this t-shirt. I'm going to get this t-shirt. There was even a musical written about the Frogman, but I couldn't find the musical online. I could only find one song. <sighs> it's not that... All right, let's just listen to it. I don't want to... I don't want to taint the song. Listen to it for yourself. Nope, that's Commercial. Hold on. Nope. Screw you, commercial. Here we go. Yeah. Look. I swear this isn't me playing. I'm not just playing along going like, I'm the frog man. No, there's actual song. He'll sing in a second. All right. Let's skip ahead here. Continue. skin's healing and you want to do me wrong Uh, it's it's you know what i'm sure you said well i could barely hear that it's not that good yeah you know what It's exactly as good as it gets with that song all right let's keep on keeping on this episode's getting on a bit on the long side which is not a problem but uh you know let's keep on moving on up next is the Beast of Bray Road from Elkhorn, Wisconsin. Now, it seems that the beast is half dog, half man, and it's either a half dog, half man creature or creatures, depending on your source. It was first reported in 1935 or 36, and then again in the 90s, and then not a lot of sighting since. Now, there were, again, just like the other ones, there were some credible witnesses, though, like a former, a, a former assistant district attorney and most witnesses that had a run-in with the beast literally had a run-in with the beast. They were driving along and they would hit something with their car and be like, oh shit, I just hit a dog. They go out and look and it's just long scratches down their cars. This happened a few times. One witness said that while driving along Bray Road on a foggy night, that they hit something crossing the road. When they got out of their vehicle to see what they had hit, they saw a large wolf-like creature with red eyes that chased this poor woman back into her car, and then left claw marks in her rear passenger door. People described it up close looking like a dog man, a bear man, a wolf man, you know, basically a werewolf. It was always described as huge. I'm talking insanely huge, four to 700 pounds. And it wasn't just witnesses. There was actually a rash of animal mutilations in the area around the sightings, too. But, unfortunately, no song. So let's keep on moving on to the Bunny Man. Yep, the Bunny Man. While investigating the Bunny Man, I found out something that's very common with a lot of the crap that I investigate for the show. this site is taking information from this site, verbatim, which is taking information from this site, verbatim which is taking information ad nauseum verbatim down the line. Turns out they were all just quoting a Wikipedia story. So since every source was exactly the same information, I am just going to literally read you the Wikipedia entry for the bunny man. I don't like doing just a it seems like it's kind of a cop-out, but it's not really. I did the due diligence. I did the research, and all the research pointed back to this one reference. So instead of rewriting a Wikipedia uh, story, I'm just going to you know, breeze over it. The bunny man originated from two, incidences in, uh, two incidents in Fairfax County, Virginia in 1970, but has since been spread throughout the Washington, D.C. area. The legend has a few variations, mostly involving a man wearing a rabbit costume who attacks people with an axe or a hatchet. Now there are versions of the Bunny Man where it's, you know, not a real thing, it's a specter, it's a ghost, or it only shows up on Halloween to commemorate his passing, but there's actually a kernel of truth to this one. Fairfax County Library, Library Historian Archivist, there's got to be a better way of saying that, Brian A. Connolly, did extensive research on the Bunny Man legend, and he said, shit, it could have a kernel of truth. He located two incidences of a man in a rabbit costume threatening people with an axe. The vandalism reports occurred 10 days apart in 1970 in Burke, Virginia. The first one was on October 19, 1970 by U.S. Air Force Academy cadet Robert Bennett and his fiancee who were visiting relatives on the Guinea Road in Burke. This was around midnight while returning home from a football game. They reportedly parked their car in a field and uh, they went to go visit an uncle who lives across the street from where the car was parked. As they sat in the front seat with the motor, they were, they were fucking, they weren't going to visit uncle. Come on. They noticed something moving outside the rear window. Moments later, the front passenger window was smashed, and there was a white-clad figure standing near the broken window. Bennett turned the car on uh, around while the man screamed at them about trespassing, including "You're on private property. I have your tag number." As they drove down the road, couple discovered there was actually a hatchet on the car floor from the broken window. Now, when the police requested a description of the man. Bennett insisted that this guy was wearing a white suit with long bunny ears. Now his fiance said that he did not have bunny ears on his head, but he was wearing a white suit of some sort, like a fur suit of some sort. Now they both remember seeing his face clearly, but in the darkness they could not determine his race. The police returned the hatchet to Bennett after examination. The second sighting, Occurred on uh, October 29th, 1970, when construction security guard Paul Phillips approached a man standing on the porch of an unfinished home in Kings Park West on Guinea Road. Phillips said the man was wearing a gray, black, and white bunny costume. He was about 20 years old, 5 foot 8, weighed 175 pounds. The man began chopping at a porch post with a long-handled axe saying, You're trespassing. If you come any closer, I'll chop off your head. So, uh... They looked into both incidences. Both were eventually closed for lack of evidence. Weeks following the incidents, more than 50 people contacted the police claiming to have seen the bunny man. Several newspapers, including the Washington Post, reported that the bunny man had eaten a man's runaway cat. And that's kind of where the urban legend kind of, you know, spirals out of control, if you will. So there you have it. It's uh, a kernel of truth to a very, very bizarre story not technically a cryptid but i included it because of the possible ghost or specter connection so holy crap still not near the end of my list i'm sure i'm going to do another episode probably not next week i want to spread it out a little bit but uh i'm going to do another episode on cryptids from around the world but here's one more the final one for tonight i should have stopped at the bunny man i'm going to tell you that right now but since the bunny man technically wasn't a cryptid let's go to this one Uh, This one is from Amsterdam. It's called the Bulebak, which apparently means bully or jerk. And it supposedly lives under a bridge across one of the many canals in Amsterdam. And it's, you know, it's basically one of those, you know, scare children into being good kind of things. Uh, Children are told that the Bulebak may come out of its hiding place and grab them so they better behave. How does it do it? Well, supposedly it's a water demon complete with a big Hi Stitch, complete with a big hook that it uses to grab children from the banks of the canal in order to drown them. The legend says, though, that once children get into the water, once they're actually pulled into the water, they could see a palace and countless beautiful lights and stars. Kurt here, how do they know this if the children are drowned? No idea! Why does that make it any better? Still no idea. You're going to drown in a minute. So you get to see something pretty right before you drown? What the hell? There's, what's, that's not cool. All right. Now, this creature was also known in Drenth and Overgissel. Guarantee it's not pronounced Overgissel. So it's not in just one spot. The Amsterdam Council actually named two bridges after the Bulebak. The Marnixstraat Crossing. Uh, that's over the Brouwersgracht. Canal or the Blumgrat Canal, which is just a street down from the other canal, just one more block down. But here's the thing. Don't think like, well, I'm not a kid, I don't I don't give a shit. I, I don't care about the Bulabach. No no no. The Bulabak doesn't just take children. Nope. It also takes tourists. So if you're a tourist to Amsterdam, you still have to worry about the bollabock. If you live in Amsterdam and you're not a child any longer, free and clear, man. Throw kids down there all the time because you are going to see something really cool. They're going to see, you know, palaces and beautiful lights and stars right before they drown. So, you know, knock yourself out. You're fine. You're safe. But if you're a tourist, you're you're probably going to fall into the the canal because it's Amsterdam and you've done a shit ton of drugs. Okay. Once again, that about does it for even more cryptids. And like I said, not even a dent into my list of cryptids. Not even the slightest dent. There are so many more Bigfoot type creatures and bizarre type creatures and weird ass shit that I want to talk about somewhere down the line. But it's going to be on a future episode because we've come to the end of this one. What do you guys think? What's the weirdest story on this one? Was it that cops mistook an iguana for a frogman with a wand? Was it, uh, probably Zana. Honestly, that's my personal what the fuck story. Where they have actual DNA that they can't explain. They have, you know, witnesses that say, Oh yeah, no, she was covered in complete fur, but I still fucked her. We still fucked her. Like, what the hell, man? That story's just bizarre. Alrighty. Once again, I'm your host, Kurt Sambig, and this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac. I'll forget the right. I'll forget one short yes where.